And good morning. Somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend Mr. Al Bat joins us. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. It's a beautiful day out there. So it's uh, I have been working out in North Dakota and found uh, that I, I was just pleased to learn that mosquitoes and wood ticks still like me. So <laughs> That's good I'm to very know. Very popular with that set. Well, I wanted to wish you a happy National Pollinator Week. You're supposed to do celebrate the bees, the bats, and other pollinators this Friday. And so I thought I'd just uh, welcome and r- say hello and happy Pollinator Week to you. Yes, and I was in uh, beautiful Lake Crystal last night watching a second-grade granddaughter play softball. And they, the Dutch, what we always call Dutch clover, the white clover, was yes. blooming all over, and the kids were gathering up mini bouquets and giving them to people and we saw a lot of honeybees oh, on, good. Those, on the dutch clover so it's it's always pleasant to see that and uh, the honeybee even though it's not a native bee it's the one that gets all the publicity here in in this part of the country but we have so many other kinds of bees many native bees other than just the bumblebee uh, and they're all important they all serve a certain set of plants and it's just we need them all so it's nice to uh, nice to see those i should mention um, I, I took my wife to the rapidan dam store uh, she'd never been there hmm. and we just had a great time walking around there and the food was great and a lot of uh, a lot of birds around there listen to the vireo singing and swallows everywhere and it was a a fun visit there at the dam store so and nice, did you have nice pie? That's supposedly the thing. You always have to have pie. I know, and we did not. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we should have maybe got some to take home, but we just, uh, our appetite wasn't quite big enough to to do that, and I know the pie is wonderful there, but it's a, it's a great place to visit out there, a lovely place just to go walking out onto the bridge and read all the signs they have up. And uh, it's amazing how many uh, punny signs they can make out of a dam store <laughs> or a store by a dam. And, uh, but, uh, boy, I highly recommend it going there. The food is uh, tremendous. And met uh, some folks from Henderson that I uh, hadn't seen for a long time in there, so I had a nice chat with them. They had a hummingbird that got into their barn. And she's a veterinarian, so she was able to kind of nurse it back to health because she thought it was uh, a goner, and that sounds like it made it thanks to her. So I appreciate them very much. Um, Here in the yard, man, bittersweet nightshade. It's flowers and the brambles of what passes as our yard anyway. Now, now that's a bad thing, bittersweet nightshade. I remember my dad saying that's bad. Yeah, and it's a oh, it's a beautiful plant. Gets these purplish flowers on it, and it's a woody plant and very aggressive grower. But again, it's beautiful. It's a non-native plant, and I'm watching this, and it bothered me, so I decided that I'd pull it out. I went out there and I did, but when I yanked it out by the roots, I accidentally dumped three robins from a well-hidden nest. I didn't see the nest at all, or I wouldn't have. Uh, wouldn't have bothered anything, but the, 
and the nestlings would have likely left their home the next day, but, oh, man, I still felt guilty subjecting them to an extra day of peril outside the nest. So I herded the three back into the brambles, uh, raspberry canes mostly, and once young robins are big enough to leave the nest, there's no reason to try to put them back because they will not stay. So the next day... Just at daybreak, I'm outside, and I I checked on them. I found two of the fledglings quite a ways up in trees, and then I decided not to search for the third one as the parents had become agitated in my presence. They no longer cared much for me. But I looked at the robins maybe a little longer than I might have done normally because I just read about a study by Microsoft Corporation that claimed the average human attention span has dropped from 12 seconds in 2002 to only 8 seconds in 2013. And what's really scary is Microsoft said that's a second shorter than the attention span of a goldfish. (laughs) So I thought a, a goldfish could stare at these robins for 9 seconds. I better stare a little bit longer than that. I I read something later that made me feel a little better. Scientists have discovered a new species of glass frog in Costa Rica that bears a striking resemblance to Kermit the Frog. And so on a day of uh, lost robins, of morning doves, and of all-day mosquitoes, I hope that this new Kermit had an appetite for skeeters. And just then a robin flew by, one of the adults, and I saw the white rear corners of the tail, and they were well worth noticing. So when you see that robin fly by, just look at those little white rear corners, and it's really a neat thing to see. Uh, Rita Granson, Rita lives down in Mason City. She said on June 9th she was out in Worth County, that'd be Northwood, or where the casino is, Diamond Joe's, down that area. And some of the interesting birds seen or heard were a great egret, black-billed cuckoo, grasshopper sparrows at the Christian Taylor area, uh, grasshopper and henslow sparrows, and an American bittern at the Panicum Prairie area, and yellow-bellied sapsucker and wood thrush at the Ochi Yohola area. Boy, I've birded there quite a few times. It's a beautiful place. Uh, John Nelson of Good Thunder sent along some trumpeter swan photos taken at Perch Lake. And this was from somebody uh, with a double question mark. So no name, but two question marks with a period behind them. Said, in our pasture pothole, I have seen a single shorebird of some type. I have seen it only briefly twice. It's a little smaller than a killdeer and similar coloration. I first noticed the unusual call it has, a high-pitched, rapid, single tweet. When it flies, it resembles a bobolink in that it has a rapid wing movement, but it doesn't seem like it could get very far very fast. Each time I've run across it, it has gone straight to the lake. It sounds like a spotted sandpiper, spotted sandpiper. Uh, Sharon Jensen of Austin said uh, one of the last rains, she saw a double rainbow. She's the first time... She didn't know where she's been, but it's the first time she'd ever seen a double rainbow and was just taken with it. And they are lovely. Rose, who lives in New Richland, on Eastern Towie, and if you have an older bird book, it'll say a Rufus-sided Towie. Uh, Pete Hoger of Hutchinson said on Sunday, 
Hannafield discovered a scissor-tailed flycatcher on a power line along Minnesota Highway 7 in McLeod County. Uh, the sighting was shared with her parents, Roger and Tammy Field and Ryan Muckenhern. And they did get a very good photo. They watched it hawk insects for several minutes. On Monday, they looked for it again, could not find it. They looked uh, all along from Mayer, New Germany, Leicester, Prairie, Winstead. But uh, he said it has to be around there somewhere. As a slight consolation, there were two white-rumped sandpipers and a semi-palmated sandpiper. Tony Perschmacher of Albert Lee said, How can I get rid of the crows in my yard? They're driving her nuts. They're birds. You don't want to get rid of lovely birds in your yard, right, Al? <laughs> That's kind of what I told Tony. I yeah. said, you know, crows are they're intelligent birds, and they do what comes naturally, and that gets them into trouble at times. Uh, I know folks, owl replicas, recorded distress or alarm calls, pyrotechnics, or starting a neighborhood petition asking the crows to move are all equally ineffective in causing crows to vacate. There is a hunting season on crows. Uh, you know, none of us enjoy eating crow. I don't know why anybody shoot them. Wait, is there a hunting? You mean people hunt them for sport or for to eat? Seriously. I don't know if anybody oh. eats them, but, you know, as soon as you say that, there is somebody mm. somewhere that's eating them, I, I have no doubt. But there is a hunting season on crows, oh. yes. And, Did not uh, know that. But, they, of course, that would be limited to you know, certain areas where you could fire off a weapon of some kind. If you have a problem with them in your yard, you might want to eliminate food sources, so secure the trash might not want to put food scraps in your compost pile, or if you do, you want to cover the compost somehow. If you feed pets outdoors, remove the food promptly after they've eaten or start feeding them indoors. You can use feeders that would exclude large birds if they're coming to your feeders. If they're a problem in the garden, they can be a problem in the garden if they start doing that. I've never had a whole lot of problem with them that way, but uh, you might netting. I know maybe some people that have mm -hmm. orchards of some kind. Uh, crows are so smart. I've never found a way to discourage their presence, and I'm still trying to outsmart just one single squirrel. If I could do that, then I'm going to move on to trying to outsmart a crow. Now, a scarecrow doesn't really work, because I know, you know, you always see scarecrows. It isn't that their job? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, they don't work at all, and and when I say not at all, when you first put them out there for a couple hours, the crows might say, "Oh, what is that? Is that a real human?" But <laughs> Let's check it I, out. I mean, they they figure stuff out really quick, and it's the same with those replica owls. I don't know how many pictures people have sent me of pigeons, morning <laughs> doves, robins, crows, all perched on the top of the head of one of those replica owls. So, and those things cost one, quite a bit, too. I, You know, I, oh, I've seen them, and I think, well, that looks like a good idea, but does it work? And, and obviously, you've answered the question there. And uh, one lady sent me, or showed me a picture in Fairmont, and it was one of those owls, and it had... Uh, it, bird poop all over it so they <laughs> were they were saying this is what we think of your owl here um i was wandering around in north dakota and looking at beautiful things for a good part of a week and somebody asked if i had a good photography tip uh, 
And the only one I could come up with was make sure you remove the lens cap on your camera before <laughs> taking a photo, I guess. The the best one I could have, because uh, people are so good at taking pictures, is carry along an extra little battery with your mm. camera. You just never know. And they're really small, and just have an extra battery along, because, you know, if the battery's going to go dead, it's going to go dead at the time when you really wish it wouldn't go dead, so you could take a lot of pictures. So. Well, the other thing I would say is to make sure you have enough light, because there's nothing worse than, than having a picture, then you just don't have enough light. And I know a lot of people take pictures, and, and it, dark just does not look good. It doesn't, and it, it makes the photos really noisy. Yeah, grainy uh, and of, all that. Yeah. Hey, Al. And it's, Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted, before we get on another topic, because I know, we, see, we talk on the phone so we can't see each other, and I know there's kind of a delay when we talk, so it's hard. So I know some people say, well, don't interrupt, Al, and I don't mean to, but we both know that it's hard to, um, you know, we, we have that little delay thing. So I want to make sure I ask this from a listener. His name is Ben from Mankato, and I promised I would ask you this. He wants me to talk to you about monarch butterflies, his concern about their decline, and saying... Have their numbers increased? What is the trend? And he also said, "Why maybe Al could talk about ways people could help the butterflies along." So that that's oh, that, the question. That is great, and thank you, Ben, very, very, very much. And yeah, it, it is a problem because we can't see one another here. And uh, I know you make hand signals at me, and I, just, I don't <laughs> you don't see them. <laughs> no, uh, Ben, that's a great question. And as far as their numbers this year, and we all know about how their dramatic drop, uh, they just, it's incredible how how their numbers have fallen off the table, so to speak. All I can go by is compared to the last few years, I am seeing a lot more this year than I did in the past few years. And that's, I'm a very small sample, because I only see where I go, but I was out at Flandreau State Park in New Ulm, and gosh, I saw a lot of, a lot of monarchs, and, and it's, I was in a northern part of North Dakota, and I saw uh, quite a few monarchs there, too, and compared to some years when I'm out there, where I've just not seen any at all, so it's great that I'm seeing a lot more. What we can do is a very simple thing, is to let milkweed grow, or plant milkweed. I believe we have 15 native varieties of milkweed here. The most common it would be, well, common, as you might expect. Some people call it purple milkweed, but there's swamp milkweed, and I know, Karen, you plant world milkweed, mm -hmm. uh, orange uh, plants, uh, the butterfly weed. There's so many different kinds of milkweed, and they all work for the caterpillars of the monarch butterfly as a host plant, which means that that's what they feed upon. That's the simplest way we can do it. It's actually a pretty easy way. And we have a tradition as humans of using and preserving milkweed because my a couple of my aunts told me that during World War II, they would go out with a big burlap bag and they would gather the milkweed seed pods. And those uh, seed pods, those fluffy things in there, were used in um, life preservers or life jackets. So they were helping the war effort hmm. by going out and collecting these. So 
So milkweed has a, a rich history of working with us on things, and no milkweed whined about having those seed pods. So, and I think milkweeds are beautiful plants, and I, I know some people find it cloying, the smell, but I love the smell of milkweed. I think it's just one of the, the best things of summer. Well, another thing Ben was, was kind of wondering is, is, is there a certain type of milkweed or plants that are better than others for attracting, you know, to get the most bang out of your buck, so to speak, to attract the butterflies and help them along? I think the only uh, real difference common would be the easiest because it's just growing everywhere. Okay. Uh, it will grow everywhere. But I think the only difference would be probably the size. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the milkweed plants are very, very small, so it just makes sense that they're probably... Uh, less because there's not so much there to eat but i think any of those milkweeds uh, will do the job and they come in all different uh, shades and you can plant them in a garden and some of them are very interesting plants to look at and people will say oh my goodness what is that you have planted out there and then it's it's nice and we can go off and say you know we're doing this for the the monarchs so i that's um, but thanks, Ben. Man, those are they're great questions. Well, Ben we'll, actually had kind of an interesting idea. He said maybe we could get I don't know if the government, or whoever, some organization that would just like supply uh, the sun or the milkweed seeds, and and there'd be like a kind of a avenue all the way down, kind of like a river of of um, milkweeds that people would just keep planting from a certain place of where the the butterflies go down to Mexico, so they'd almost have their own highway of, of milkweeds from, you know, the top of the U.S. down to, to Mexico in that area. So that, I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Now, if somebody could coordinate that, that would be um, maybe a neat idea. That would be wonderful. And I know there's, a, I believe, a, a monarch butterfly organization that is offering milkweed seeds. And I wonder if it isn't with a, a membership to their organization. And I probably shouldn't even say that because I can't think which group it is. I, I always milkweed uh, for so many farmers growing up that was always something you tried to get rid of and it has the unfortunate name in having weed in its mm-hmm. name which just makes uh, a lot of people think well if it's named weed it must be weed I should get rid of it but that that's a great idea I would love to see a highway of milkweed coming all the way from Mexico up here so that they could just fly along there and lay their eggs because I love monarch butterflies and and they are our state butterfly. So they have a, an official position mm-hmm. here. My wife came in one day and said uh, something was biting her on the ankle outside. <laughs> and then not long after that, a woman called me and said, what's biting me on the ankle? And I told I didn't tell my wife this, but I told the caller that there's so many possibilities. It could be her husband, you know how he is, but it could be the neighbor's dachshund. Uh, it's hated you since <laughs> he ran the lawnmower over its favorite squeak toy, but it's par- probably stable flies. And these guys resemble house flies. They're about oh, a quarter of an inch long. Sometimes they're called biting house flies, and they inflict a painful bite. They feed on the bot, bot blood of uh, warm-blooded animals, which includes us. And stable flies particularly attack the ankles, and they're on their worst behavior in early morning and late afternoon. They're strong flyers, so they're capable of flying long distances for a blood meal. They lay their eggs in decaying organic matter, such as animal bedding or or grass clippings. So 
lawn around here when you mow the lawn. Uh, Sherry Daniel of Minnesota Lake saw three adult Canada geese with 25 goslings in their care, and she wondered what the story was there. Well, Canada geese parents sometimes bring their goslings together in flocks known as crutches or uh, gang broods, and all the adults look after the goslings. The adults share the babysitting duties, and the geese do this. It's also called brood amalgamation. And because the goslings are safer with more adults looking out for danger. So it's kind of a cool thing where they work together to, to help their babies. Environmental explorers. So they're having this really neat thing. It's a hands-on educational experience for students who have completed grades 4 or 5. And the participants will explore a different element each day through a variety of activities. It's from July 27th through 31st, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., and uh, it's at Rasmussen Elk Nature Center. My wife and I just walked around Rasmussen Woods. It's on Stoltzman's Road mm -hmm. in Mankato. And if you would like, they need registration by July 10th. If you'd like more information, uh, give Joyce Swenson a call. Joyce is about as nice as human beings are allowed to be. Uh, give her a call. It's a 507 number, but it's 389-2461. 389-2461. I know kids are... Oh, they're just busy. Always something going on. But this would be really a fun thing. Again, it's July 27th through the 31st at Rasmussen Elk Nature Center on Stoltzman Road. And I hope they get a nice crowd out there to, to do all that. So I wish it had all those things when I was a kid. I, I don't know if I'd have ever made them to them because they, they were different then. I, I remember I wanted to be a Boy Scout little whining here, you know, because I'm a guy. <laughs> it was in Albert Lee was where the nearest Boy Scout thing was. And my dad said, well, you know, we can't drive you all the way to Albert Lee once a week for a meeting. So times have changed a lot. That's the way things were mm -hmm. then. You just didn't drive that far to take kids to anything. And and now I, I see the kids where they're just, boy, they have a appointment schedule that's just incredible. I don't know how they make everything. Now people go all over the state to, um, sometimes for, for tournaments, for different kind of ball oh, sports and, yep. and things like that. And it's just amazing. I'm kind of glad my, my boys aren't really interested in, in sports that much. I mean, there's, there's an advantage to that. So I... But yeah, I've seen families with the two or more kids, and and it's it's like they're they're a chauffeur service. It is, and I have a, a granddaughter who's a, a pretty good basketball player, so they they play not only uh, around the state here, but other states too. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, she loves playing, so I'm just happy to see whatever game I can see her play. So I. I get this question, I just got it yesterday again, and get a lot. People ask me why, because I was whining about wood ticks being on me, and somebody <laughs> said, why are wood ticks in the trees? I only had 41 uh, what? wood ticks. What? So are you, are you yeah. kidding me? No. Where where were you when you got these 41? Uh, I was out by Chase Lake. Uh, I guess that would be the nearest lake anybody's heard of. Uh, Carrington, North Dakota. Jamestown, North Dakota area, and they're all wood ticks out there. They don't have deer ticks, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just, wood ticks like me. I don't know what it is about. I, I tell everybody that I, I'm a tick magnet, <laughs> which is <laughs> like the 
opposite of being a chick magnet. So I, wood ticks like me. And, but they always say, well, why are wood ticks? They're also called black-legged ticks or dog ticks. Right. They're all the same. Yep. And why are they in trees? Well, wood ticks, they aren't in trees. They're in the they're grass, in right? Yeah. yeah, they're in a tree, they're on a bird or something, and they uh, fall out of it because they don't want to be up there. So I get them, if I get them around the woods, I get them in the grass on my way into and out of the woods. And they will climb up onto the ends of the blades of grass and have their little feet there. And they said, here comes Bat. And then <laughs> on, on they go. So I uh, want to end with a little thing. Father's Day is coming up. And, oh, yeah. Uh, my father. My father is uh, uh, no longer with us, and I miss him. And I, I, I'm sure I, I echo the thoughts and feelings of a lot of folks. Where, man, if we could just have our parents back for like five minutes a week, so we could just talk to them or ask them questions, and just uh, I miss him greatly. And my father enjoyed watching birds. And that love was passed along to me. And Father's Day, I know, comes and goes in a blink. But the memories of my father's gentle and heartening dealings with nature endure. Dad called the indigo bunting a blue canary and the house wren, Jenny Wren. Jenny Wren was a doll's dressmaker in Our Mutual Friend, a novel by Charles Dickens. And the Jenny Wren is a willing scold. Its song is exuberant and bubbling. It's a tiny bird that produce, produces a big sound. And my dad was a quiet man who produced a, a great love of nature in his youngest son. And I am so appreciative of that. And on uh, Father's Day and every other day, I am thankful for that. As am I thankful for you, Karen, for uh, your uh, every. Tuesday meeting here with me and putting up with me for, I think, about 75 years now, so I really appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. And I appreciate Ben and everybody else for listening and for your wonderful uh, questions and wonderful comments. They just, they make my, not only my day, but my, my week. Well, Al, it's always great to have you. Until next week, we'll, uh, happy bird watching, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I look forward to it, and uh, happy uh, happy pollinators week is yes. that what the yes? So, uh, boy, thank a pollinator today. Absolutely, thanks, Al. You have a great one. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye. Tweet.